Welcome to the realm of magic and mystery, classic horror and sci-fi. You are now entering the House of the Unusual podcast with your hosts, Eddie and Joe. Welcome, everybody, to the House of the Unusual podcast. Once again, I am your host, Joe Pavlansky. With me, as always, is the maestro of Mill Order Mysteries and owner of House of the Unusual, Eddie Guevara. Today's special guest is her first time on the podcast, and her name is Jenny Crabtree. Jenny, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. And uh, since this is your first time on, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you. And why don't you go ahead and tell our audience a little bit uh, about yourself? Oh, great. Yeah. Um, so my name's Jenny. I'm I'm in the Jersey City area. Um, I You can probably tell from my accent, I'm originally from the old world, but uh, I've lived in the States for six years now. Unfortunately, never adopted the accent from you guys. Uh, <laughs> as hard as I try. <laughs> okay, awesome. So what are your... Uh... What are your some of your interests and all that? What what are you into? Uh, any hobbies or anything? Uh, I mean, I'm a little boring to be honest. My main hobby is running. Um, Eddie usually sees me running up and down the streets uh, all hours of the day. Um, but uh, I also am particularly interested in urban legends and uh, things like that around my my region. So, um, coming from uh, uh, the UK originally we have quite a lot of different ones uh, relating to just all the different influences we have um, in Europe so some are from religion some are from just uh, things, things like that, that. Um, so I've done a lot of uh, research into that um, which I was hoping to share with you guys today. Awesome sounds good yeah well, that is going to be our, our topic tonight we're going to really dig in deep to some some urban legends and uh, explain, you know, how they affect society and, and why these urban legends were, were put in place. And that's awesome that you like to run. I, I run once in a while myself whenever my my legs feel up to it. But <laughs> Eddie, It's a little Eddie, bit warm at the moment, the only thing. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I was out today. I went for a little mile jog, and it was just – it was too hot to go any further. We got up to – I think it was like 92 here, and uh, I'm in northeast Ohio. and yeah. I, I just missed the rain, so just got humid then. So, Gosh. Yeah, it's supposed to rain here the next few days. Now I know you guys are are getting all of our rain out there in the the Jersey area. So, yeah, awesome, Eddie. So <laughs> what's what's new over at our House of the Unusual? Okay, Joe. Joe, we're getting ready for something big on July twenty ninth. I believe it's going to be the same time, 10.30 p.m. or 10 p.m., the same way we did a podcast before. And we went live. This time we're going live with Chuck Caputo. He's going to introduce his magic line that I'm almost finished with. We're going to have a total of about five or six individual magic tricks designed by him, put together by the House of the Unusual. (laughs) And it's going to launch on that particular day. So it's going to be July 29th. So all the listeners out there, Tune in to either Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, and you'll be able to see us live. Awesome. Um, so other than that, Joe, everything is looking good. So let's go ahead with the show. All right. Sounds good. So before we get on to our topic, just a, a few quick announcements for our listeners out there. Um, you could find us over at houseoftheunusual.com. We have a, an awesome website there. There's a free forum to join. You could uh, talk with some like-minded people about your your specific hobbies, interests, and, and, you know, maybe pick up some new ones. 
And we also have a YouTube page. Just type in on the search House of the Unusual and you will find our site there. Subscribe to it. Uh, check out our videos and like them. And that way you you guys, you know, support us so that we could keep doing this this podcast and and put out more magic lines and, and all kinds of different stuff. Also, the new issue of Scary Monsters magazine is out. It's issue 122. It's called Never Say Die issue. And it is about cheating death, uh, trying to get around growing old. Uh, so it's a really cool topic. I do have an article in there. It's on page 86, and it has to do with the Three Stooges. It, it covers two episodes, one called uh, All Gummed Up, and the other one is Bubble Trouble. And it is about the Stooges making a a potion to, you know, turn back, kind of turn back the clock and make older people younger and all the zany stuff that happens when they, you know, of course, try to do that. It doesn't go as planned, but there's a, a ton of great articles uh, in there on how to cheat death and how to become younger. So Scary Monsters 122 is now out on newsstands. You could also find it online. So that's all for the announcements, and we are going to get into uh, urban legends. Yo, and uh, don't forget also to mention our friends from Stupid Comics. Is that oh, correct? Yeah, that yeah, almost forgot about that. Uh, Stupid Comics, and the website. I want to get it correct here. It is stupidcomicsmagazine.com, and stupid is spelled S-T-O-O-P-I-D. And what it is is it's a comics magazine that kind of infuses mad magazine cracked in the far side all into one. And it's, it's a load of fun. They have four issues out now, zero through three Uh, myself, Eddie and a few other guys have ordered the issues and they are absolutely fantastic. We're anxiously awaiting the fourth issue and we will definitely update everybody when that happens. So check that out. It is stupidmagazines.com, And also, Support our buddy Todd Machen at c-monkeys.com for all your underwater sea monkey needs. There's tons of cool products out there if you want to just get into sea monkeys or if you want to kind of spruce up your 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 collection of, of sea monkey stuff. There's a, there, there's a ton of products on there. They're always putting out some new stuff. So that's c-monkeys.com. One last final thing I wanted to say, uh, Joe, which is very important, is we were going to be in the next coming issue of Stupid Magazine with a full-page ad. Unfortunately, I couldn't meet the deadline on that, so we're going to go for issue number five, I guess. Okay. Number six, number six. But having said that, I want to give a shout-out to my special buddies, Jim, uh, Charlie, and Mr. Lucas. And I'm sure they're hearing this program. They'll, uh, They'll see we still remember them. So having said that, go ahead. Let's go with the show, man. <laughs> All right. So we're going to get into some urban legends here. And uh, we're going to dig deep into it and how, like I said, how they, uh, you know, affect the people, society, and, and you know, maybe where did they come from, a little history behind it. And for that, we are going to turn it over to Jenny. So Jenny, the mic's all yours. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Um, I actually, uh, for this conversation, I did bring in a, a few different ones from across um the i suppose europe but mostly in my region of the uk um but the first one that i think touches all points is um we have in any case like a national park i suppose um and it's called bobman and we have uh the local tale is the beast of bobman moor 
So what it's actually meant to be is very much like the Sherlock Holmes Hound of the Baskervilles. This beast stalks you if you're out on the moor at night. You don't want to be left alone. Uh, it comes and gets lined. Um, it's a it's a really you know well known and well revered creature on the moor, um, but the the actual truth behind it is uh, I suppose not not quite as weird but quite unusual. Um, so what happened back in the 70s is people used to keep uh, live, you know wild sorry wild cats big cats, um, and then the laws changed in the UK. So what people did instead of um, you know taking the cats back to zoos and things, they basically let them free on this moor. <laughs> No, which is crazy when you think about it, but that's what they, I think, just to avoid the fine effectively, they were like, oh, we'll just release them onto this national park. Um, I'm pretty sure most didn't survive because you, you're releasing a, you know, a big cat onto quite a cold environment. But some actually have, um, which then uh, became the legend of the, the Beast of Mobbin Moor. So uh, the crazy thing is there's still some out there and they're super timid. Um, people um, say they spot them all the time. And there's a lot of livestock on this particular moor that's allowed to roam free. So they effectively have pretty good, um, you know, uh, places where they can go and feed. They've got uh, they've got sheep and, and all sorts on the on the moor to kind of keep them going. Um, what I think is the most incredible thing is that they've survived the cold, <laughs> to be honest, when they're definitely not adapted for the cold. But um, the, the legend that stems from it is very true. You don't particularly want to be out on this moor you know, during the night time in case the beast of Bobman Moor might get you, not that anyone has ever been able to capture one. So they're very, very, very elusive. And I don't know whether that's people haven't um, gone into research to capture them because the farmers obviously are not happy. Yeah, it's now purely legend. Now, um, now, has there ever been any type of study done to see how many of those animals are actually out there? I don't believe so. The only thing that you ever see is, um, and it makes the news. Uh, so there'll be someone who's gone for a walk and they've seen one walking across the moor, you know, further across from them. And now with the use of phones, so people will film it. But they're such um, timid creatures that nobody's really been able to track them down. And that's why it kind of got this mythical stance to it, because nobody knows if they're still around. People still are convinced that they're, that these beasts are still here. Um, but yeah, there's been no hard statistics other than um, farmers finding their sheep half eaten the next morning, really. Now, now the little bit that I've dug into urban legends and I've, you know, I, I really like the aspect of vampires in urban mm -hmm. legends and how they were used to kind of, um, I guess, teach lessons almost, you know, to mainly to to younger people or to more of like the, uh, the God fearing people. So was, was this urban, was this urban legend of the cats on it? Was this used um, in any way to, you know, maybe like teach kids, Hey, don't go out, you know, at night or don't go into this area at a certain time or anything like, you know, along those lines. Oh, absolutely. Um, but it, yeah, for us as local children, the, the moors itself is quite dangerous to go out at night on your own. And obviously kids do, you know, you want to go and, play hooky run around so absolutely it, it was a really good thing to to keep us not doing that because you don't want to come face to face with one there's a few people that try to be a bit of daredevils but um yeah absolutely it was it was used as a as a way to make sure that we didn't run on more i mean that those the the legend aside it's it's not great to to run around on the those the national parks at night because it's you know it's quite it's it's you know it's it's a pretty rough place as it is. <laughs> um, right. So absolutely, yeah, it was used for that.
Yeah, it seems like a lot of these, you know, urban legends and and stories were, you know, you, you, like say you ha- you have the one of the vampire, and everybody kind of knows, you know, the 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 lore of the vampire mainly through you know movies and all that 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 have come out. But really, it seems you know, going back centuries, that you know, even with like the the vampire lore, that people in their own, you know, small communities or even in their, their own home, put their certain little uh, twist on it to kind of, you know, put it in use in their, their area. Um, You know, especially, especially if there was like a graveyard or something around. What's that? No, Joe, I was going to say also, when you were saying that a lot of people used it to their own advantage, do remember, I'm almost positive that a lot of the vampire legends, especially up in the European area, uh, I read something about Vlad, Vlad, the original Dracula guy, where you know Dracula's castle prince filed. What's his name, Vlad? Vlad yeah, the Impaler. Okay, yeah. right. <laughs> he said they were used to impale the people, and I guess that the reason of the impaling was just to cause the fear from anybody that would try to attack him. I think a lot of those legends of the vampire with the blood sucking and everything came from the actual impaling of people. Right. Well, a lot yeah. of it came to that, and and some of the other ones I've read, like they would have that. Um, I know there was a uh, a specific um, community in Romania where they would tell the kids to, once you're done washing the pan, or I'm sorry, that after after a meal that you had to wash the pots and pans, that if you didn't, they would attract vampires into the house and they would get you. So they kind of used that almost as like a scare tactic to make the kids, you know, do their chores basically and it goes along the lines of if you have a dirty house you know it could attract vampires um if you don't upkeep a grave it'll you know it could attract vampires or ghouls you know stuff like that so they really use it to kind of scare kids into you know doing the right thing and you know doing their chores you know they're the same thing with um there's some communities that if you know that swearing would bring in um these evil spirits or, or vampires um, so in, in, you know, you're from Great Britain, was there anything along those lines that, uh, where they really used these urban legends or these lures to, uh, install, um, I, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess, uh, fear install like fear. Well, no, not, <laughs> well, yeah, um, but, yeah, there's definitely that fear aspect, but, uh, to install, I, I guess, uh, you know, I, to make these kids, to make kids, you know, do their chores, to make them do the right thing, to to act obedience, you know, good. Obedience to the people, you're saying? What's to that? Install, to install some type of obedience to the people? Right. Yeah. That. Yeah. To install yeah. Some, some type of obedience to the parents or to the community. Um. Yeah. I mean, we've got quite a quite a range. I mean, so uh, definitely on the lines of fending off do something to fend off evil spirits so one that comes to mind is it's a pagan ritual and it happens the in the new year and it's basically a ritual that you have to do there's two versions of it to ward off evil spirits for the new year um and so it's it's very similar to that so the the first version of it is um is actually surrounding the trees so on uh, New Year's Eve, you basically go, it's going to sound a little bit crazy, but let me tell you how it works. <laughs> you uh, have to soak some uh, toast in cider. And you need to find the oldest tree 
um, or most magnificent, I think sometimes the old tale says, in the woods. Um, and then you put that toast in the tree and then you have to um, drop some cider around the tree and shoot your guns in the air. And that's supposed to um, ward off the spirits. That sounds uh, like a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's everyone. It's it's quite a drunken festival, to be honest, and it still happens in uh, Scotland and and where I'm from in the West Country. Um, and it's the idea is um, that the evil spirits hide in the tree, so you have to go and and almost shoo them out for the new year, effectively. And part of the legend is the tree is sleeping because it's the new year, so you you're waking up the tree and you're shaking out and and making a lot of noise to get rid of the evil spirits. Um, so we do have a lot of stuff like that. I can't think of it exactly um to do with chores but the second part is they do make the children go around and call on all the people in the village and give them uh some cider for the for the again to ward off the spirits so it's a little bit of a chore but you're definitely getting the children to to do things uh to help you ward off those evil spirits um but yeah it's, it's a pretty if you ever get a chance to to go to one i highly recommend it it's certainly a bit surreal um but it's it's a it's probably because it's so pagan there's there's always a lot of cider involved <laughs> yeah, i could imagine <laughs> that, that i'm sure it is i got a quick question jenny especially over in england i mean i've never been out that way i've never been to the uk or any area uh out of the, uh, you know outside the united states which is kind of crazy but i got a quick question um is it true that there's mostly like in the afternoon like a fog that comes around, you know, like in New England. <laughs> so uh, there is truth in that rumor. We don't have it anymore. But what it actually was um, in the Industrial Revolution, uh, the coal fires would burn so strong that by the afternoon, um, the fog would, would roll in, um, which actually really bad across all the cities, um, the major cities in the UK. And we're talking like mid sort of 1850s onwards. Um, so yeah, all through the Victorian era and that sort of thing. Um, so absolutely, that that was true, that fog bit. And then I think it never kind of left, like you say, the folklore that the fog rolls in. Um, but I, to be honest, it rains more than fog, but that that's where it uh, originated from. Um, and it caused lots of problems because you, you genuinely couldn't see that much. Now, have you ever heard of any, um, like maybe it would be around the smaller uh, villages that are still very traditional. Um, one of the stories I, I read a while back from uh, Romania was that they a lot of the, um, a lot of like the well back in like the 1600s and even earlier than that, um, and even some of them to this day, some of the very small ones that are remote and kind of just uh, very isolationist, uh, they're very weary of. Um, of travelers and people coming into their village because they believe that uh, people coming into their village could bring in uh, bad omens or uh, that a, a person coming into their village is actually a vampire or some other type of ghoul. Do you ever hear any type of uh, legends about that in, in England? Uh, no, not not so much there, but to be honest, probably because we're such a small place. <laughs> so yeah. we pretty much know everyone. No, I'm just kidding. Um, they, yeah, probably, uh, but I can definitely see that out, like you were mentioning, Romania way. Um, it's it's a bigger country than people think. Um, it's It does have a lot more remote parts, and I can fully understand that the traditions are probably kept much stronger so if, if that was the tradition of uh, worrying about you know new people coming into the into the town 
Right. Um, and you I, can kind I, of see the, the social aspect of that too, where you wouldn't, you know, even if somebody was, was, you know, traveling and coming into the village, you wouldn't want little kids just running up to some yeah. stranger, you know, so that they would put these, you know, the parents would put these stories behind it. So that way it would kind of scare the kids, you know, away from these people. Cause you would never, you know, especially if you're in a very remote part and someone just, you know, pops up, whether they're out hiking or, traveling or whatnot you still wouldn't want you know anybody just running up to them or yeah you know so the parents they would put these you know they would basically install fear into the kids of this and then they would just over the the years and centuries and all that develop into these you know these outlandish legends you know yeah absolutely i was gonna say one of those really outlandish outlandish uh legends is like for example i know the philippine people have most of them (laughs) Especially from like the old areas, I guess, or the uh, more the urban areas of the of the Philippines, they think that there's life in the trees. Like they literally think that the trees are alive and you can't cut them down and stuff, you know, or that they are some type of spirit being. So, you I could see a lot, but the ambience over in London, especially such an old country like that, and if you did have back in the days where you had fog mm-hmm. coming in, you know, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of legends would grow out of there. Oh, absolutely. Well, um, the uh, Jack Spring, which was basically kind of got merged a little bit into Jack the Ripper. When the fogs came into London, the legend was he was part devil and he would jump across your rooftops and cause mayhem um, through the night. So and that was uh, came out of the fog as well. So absolutely stuff came came out from that because it was, I suppose, really bizarre. Like, how how do you explain why this bad air is coming in? and probably similarly to the the Romanian um, because you mentioned that was also started around the 16th century. Do you think that's perhaps also to do with the Black Plague? Because if you think about it traditionally, like people would have come to town and maybe the plague would have come. So then they assumed that that was a curse or, you know, that person had come to to put a curse on the town. Oh, yeah, so maybe I, that's also why they were a bit wary with uh, strangers. Yeah, I, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that played a huge role in a lot of the stories and not only the Black Plague, but just, you know, diseases and sickness in general, because, you, you know, if you're looking, you know, say 15, 1600s, you know, especially if you're in a remote area and you don't know too much about, you know, modern medicine or diseases, it's very easy to attribute, you know, someone being sick to an evil spirit or, you know, a vampire or a ghost or a ghoul or anything like that, because you're, you know, as human nature is that you, you try to find answers for something. And, you know, that, that might be the only thing that you know is to, are these stories, you know, to attribute, yeah, this person, they got the flu. Well, we attribute, there was a week ago, there was a guy that showed up in, in the village passing through and, you know, he was a vampire or, you know, yeah. you know, any something like that. So I think that that plays a huge role in it. And, and I think today, in some respects, that, you know, people that are still very superstitious, <clears throat> excuse me, that they, you know, attribute, you know, some of that stuff to um, uh, to stories like that, uh, especially, you know, a lot of, you know, you see it in a lot of um, people that are very religious. You know, if something bad happens or if somebody's sick, they attribute it to the devil you know, even though, you know, we are a very modern and technological society, there's still that aspect of the of human nature where you want to 
attribute it to something that's you know supernatural or or unexplained. You know, absolutely. Uh, let me ask you a question, Jenny. Over uh, how many have you ever traveled over to Romania? No, I haven't actually. I've, I've uh, traveled through most of the rest of Europe, but not not that side, unfortunately. Really, um, that's interesting. Yeah, but we we do have quite a lot of their folklore because it does it is quite strong in Romania in a nice way. So it's it's something that people do know a lot about. Well, you know something, Jenny. When you look at it too, if you think here in the states, we we carry a lot of those things with us because from the old country you have the Black Plague. From the Black Plague, you know, uh, one of the kids' uh, children's song today, which is "Ring Around the Rosy." I mean, that comes directly from the Black Plague of Europe because that's where, uh, <laughs> you know, when the bodies I think were dying and stuff, it was like they had a belief that if you took a rose and I, I, how's that, Joe? Do you remember that? Can you? I, I don't know the specifics of it. I I do know that yeah, it is attributed to to the Black Plague. A lot of stuff. There's even, um, there's even thought that that clowns, you know, the clown makeup and all that comes from uh, victims of the Black Plague. Oh wow! You Which know, is, the, yeah, I've heard that. The, yeah, with the you know the different faces, you know the different coloring of the faces, the redding of the nose, and all that. So yeah, I mean, a lot a lot of these do you know stories do come from uh, illnesses and and stuff like that. But uh, Jenny, what are some other stories that you got from from over in the old country? <laughs> I've got a few, but I probably uh, just wanted to mention quickly. So um, Ed, you write that Ring of Rosie tale is actually to do with, and I don't know if you've ever seen the photos of people during the plague that would treat the victims, but they would put on, it almost looked like a beak, um, like a leather beak they'd strapped to their face, very similar to what we've got our masks now, but it was very cone-shaped, and they would fill it f- uh, full of flowers, so posies, because they believed that the plague was spread through the bad air, even though nowadays we knew it was, it wasn't, you know, it was bacteria. Um, so they, if they were trying to treat the plague victims, you'd see these quite frightening looking people come in with these huge, almost beak like leather masks, way worse than what, you know, we're wearing today, (laughs) full of posies. And they also Um, use that to to mask the smell of the, uh, the dead bodies and all that. So you get that flower smell and you. Where are you using that, Joe? What's that? Where are you using that one time I saw you? Every day, almost. <laughs> God, could you imagine people walking around now with the, those things? That's pretty damn scary, man. I've seen some of those. I know, I know. That, yeah, and so that also makes me think because I've never realized the connection for the clowns. That that's probably also why, because I'm sure they looked really quite frightening uh, walking through the streets. They they were very dressed up in these unusual costumes to treat the the plague victims. Awesome. So, so what other stories you got for us, Jenny? So uh, I thought we could touch on King Arthur because that's also just down the road from where I used to live. Um, oh, sure. Yes, yeah. So hopefully you've heard that that particular legend. Um, we, actually... we have a king. His no, I'm saying we have a king. His name is King Todd. He's king of the sea monkeys. But go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Sorry, King Todd. <laughs> There's uh, this one's long gone. Don't worry. <laughs> um, <laughs> So uh, King Arthur was, the legend goes that he was born in um, Tingegel Castle, so T-I-N-T-E-G-E-L, which is over in Cornwall, which is um, just kind of just below Wales in the UK. So Cornwall's a a really unique place. It's still very pagan. It's, they have their own Gaelic version of a language. They have their own language and flag, actually. Um, So the the legend came from uh, Cornwall. And they still have a lot of stuff in trings in their folklore. So they still believe in pixies. That also spreads into the next county, Dartmoor. 
Um, they're very, uh, traditionally it's very superstitious, but that's where um, was born um, and all of the legend, you know, the Knights of the Round Stone. Um, so they, they they claim that that's where it comes from. Um, the I'm not sure, apart from it being just well-known folklore, if it's got any any morals that came out of that particular one. Well, I, um, I think the biggest moral that that came out of the King Arthur legend would be the um, would be equality, basically, because he, you know, even though he was the king and he had his his knights, which were his subordinates, you know, every time they met, they always sat at a round table, which you know, meant that everybody was equal. There was no head of the table. And I believe there's even a part of the story where uh, they were meeting and um, a bishop from the Catholic Church came in and he was looking for a head of the table. And King Arthur told him, there, you know, there is no head of the table. When we meet, we are all equals. And that was the whole meaning of, of you know, sitting at the round table that there is, you know, even though he is the king and he is the head, but when they meet, everybody's on the same level. So if there is any input or anything like that, they're free to to do that because there is no uh, like kind of you know chain of command or somebody higher than another person. Is, is that correct on that? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, which is which is great if you think about it because the legend is so old and we're talking centuries old that they at least had that notion to begin with right. um, down there. Yeah, um, and it's it's a very uh, I think it's even meant to be over a thousand years old. That legend it is a really old old wow. legend. A thousand. I wasn't sure it was that old. Yeah, it's, it's a... Jenny. Um, I was watching something in the History Channel a few days ago, and it was showing the uh, Nessie. You know the last. Oh, look, Ness. <laughs> what do you What do you got to say about him? <laughs> Now, that is a place I have been to. Um, very you beautiful. Have, yeah. yeah, very beautiful. Um, with whether you spot. Thank you, guys. To, to go <laughs> and have a look, because uh, it's up near between. Uh, it's sort of. In the Highlands, there's a very long lock that starts at the tip of Inverness. Um, I tried my best to spot Nessie. I don't think I managed to. Um, <laughs> I spent many hours sort of looking at, especially because it's a little bit windy, like seeing if every peak might be the Loch Ness Monster. Um, the, the, net, the lock itself is really deep and it's connected to uh, the sea at the very end. So I think with Nessie, they're probably, you probably can get some really large creatures in there. Really? Um, I don't know whether it's that people perhaps at some point spotted whales or whether there were genuinely some prehistoric animals. It's an, the part of Scotland it is, um, was, you know, in ice in the ice age. Like it, it's very, I think, reasonable that something very prehistoric could be in there. It's a really deep, uh, deep lake. Um, so it's, I think it's possible for something to be to be in there for sure. I couldn't spot it though. It was really yeah. sad. <laughs> you know, we're going to have to ask that question. We have a good friend, Todd Matchin. You know, he's uh, the one we call the King of the Sea Monkeys. Lately, Brilliant. he's gotten the title of uh, King of the Sea. He might have some, some, you know, some ideas of what's going on there because he probably has Nessie locked up somewhere. One of the- <laughs> you know, Todd's probably, Todd's listening to this and shaking his head now. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> That's why I'm bringing it up. You know something that's interesting that you said that because they actually had this special and a guy actually caught on film for the first time what looked like, I mean, it was definitely over, I think, 20, 30 feet long. So it wouldn't be an electric eel or something like that. Yeah. And he was able to catch it with his camcorder. This was about, I don't know, five, six years ago. And they, oh. were, they have a whole special 
you know the old show. Well, I'm sure you probably don't remember Leonard Nimoy when he had in search off. There's a new version of the show now, and there's actually a, a four part thing on the Loch Ness monster. And I was watching it yesterday. And I was really, you know, now that you bought all those, and, and the fact that you went there, that's really fascinating. It, I mean, yeah. I definitely could see something. Something large could be in that lock, like but, no problem but, at all. So, I mean, um, probably why some things hide so well as well. <laughs> what's your What's your personal take on it, Jenny? Do you think that there is some kind of undiscovered species in there, or do you think it's just a lot of, you know, hype to get uh, tourists into the area? Uh, I mean, I would love nothing more than Nessie to be real because I think that would be so cool. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like it might be a bit of hype. Uh, I mean, there's definitely things you like, you know, sometimes porpoises and stuff get in. There's definitely big things in there. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's it's done well. I mean, the whole industry around that and it's a beautiful lock, but they do have many. So why particularly that? And it's just so busy or obviously pre-COVID with tourists. Like, you know, they've done a very good marketing job either way, whether wow. the people local believe it or not. <laughs> they've done they've done very well out of it. You know, sure. I, I was actually looking up. Lock is in parts of 5,000 feet deep. That's pretty deep. Right. Yeah. So you definitely could hide something big. <laughs> yeah, I would. I'm kind of on the same page as you. I don't I think there's a lot of hype to it. I mean, it would be cool if there was some undiscovered species and i mean they're they're very so cool yeah they're very well could be but i i kind of think that it's it's well, you know, a lot of hype to it well look, joe let's take for instance for example we all know that the biggest legend of all is bigfoot okay but now we <laughs> see the yeti bigfoot it's all really the same character in different traditions you have bigfoot the, the abominable snowman the yeti and at the end of the day, so big for you have Nessie, the Loch Ness monster. Now I think they were comparing him to another monster from a close by lake or something. And Jenny, maybe you know what, which one I'm talking about. That they said it kind of runs into Loch Ness. Um, I forgot. I, I can't remember right now the name of the creature, but it's it's similar in the area. Are you familiar with it or no? No, I'm not. No. No. They they got jealous and wanted their own Loch Ness monster <laughs> yeah todd, todd wanted to make his own there but it didn't work up in uh, Pittsburgh, <laughs> is, uh you know hey, jenny, jenny are you familiar with uh saint the legend of saint george and the dragon yes yeah can you uh tell us a little bit of, can you tell us a little bit about that one so he is the um obviously the the english flag however i don't believe he ever went to england he was down in georgia which is um sort of southern europe ironically so i think he's our paint he's probably never set foot uh, in our grounds um <laughs> so allegedly he killed off uh, all of the last dragons which actually used to be a really good fable when we were younger we used to tease each other whether it was dinosaur bones or dragon bones um you know when people were discovering things like that but that's what he's famous for so he's famous for um uh, you know banishing earth of of these awful creatures uh, way back when, which you think they must have believed it at the time because they made him a saint for it. So <laughs> you just think uh, people definitely, whether he told that tale or whether he produced a few snakes and said he cut their wings off, who knows? <laughs> um, I mean, there's other saints like um, obviously St. Paddy's for Ireland. The reason he's the patron saint is he allegedly uh, got rid of all the snakes in Ireland. There's no snakes apparently in Ireland at all now. Right. Yeah. So 
sim similar thing. Maybe maybe they're one and the same, and they just one country wanted one version, the other one wanted the bigger now, one with dragons. <laughs> now this is real. You're saying there's no snake. Is that real though? I don't. No I don't believe there are. Really? Oh wow, Joe. Joe, right? Oh, so, so says their saint. <laughs> yeah, that, that's... Joe, Joe that's... you got to write that down in the book. We got to take some snakes over there so they get a couple, man. Yeah. <laughs> we, we got a lot here, you know? <laughs> that, that's kind of funny, though. I mean, how the, the church used a lot of these, you know, urban legends and all that to, you know, canonize their, their saints and all that. And and to spread yeah. these, these around to kind of, you know, hype up the, the church a little bit. And, you know, I'm going to tell you guys, when, if you know, there's a lot of things when we, we talk about all this legend stuff that go across the board from the different countries, the different things. Didn't we have a similar one here, Joe, uh, which it's kind of like the one Jenny said, reminded me of the Chupacabra. Remember that one? Yeah, I think that was more down to in like um, it, it in started in South America, right? But then yeah. it was like all over the United States, and I think it kind of resembled when she said that they let the big cats out into the parks. Which, oh, maybe like, you know that <laughs> one thing that a lot of people and this is funny. This is a true story, Joe, and I, I don't know if you ever if we talked about it before or not. But back in the nineteen fifties and forties, you know, they used to sell alligators through the mail and, and jenny as i've told wow. you before, you know we kind of do a lot of the mail order stuff which is what i'm kind of the expert in and the, in mail order back in the 1950s they would send you a life alligator and a lot of the people that bought the life alligator especially in the city started letting them out into the sewers and a lot <laughs> of the legends you know that was true that the alligators obviously grew a little bigger than you wanted them to so that that is uh, kind of a legend that had a lot of truth behind it. Uh, are you aware of that, Joe? Yeah, you know what? I, I did hear that. And there was there's another one that goes along with that is about snakes coming up through toilets. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, that, that, that has happened a lot of times for real. So Yeah, you know, and I remember hearing about that in the 80s. And here just uh, this morning, I, I heard a story on the radio while I was, while I was working out that I believe it was in maybe Pennsylvania that there was a neighbor who had a pet snake and they flood the, one of the kids flushed it down the toilet and it traveled through the pipes into the neighbor's toilet. And while the guy was going to the bathroom, it came out and bit him in his uh, nether area. Really? That is a, a true story. So, you know, sometimes the, the urban legends are actually true. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, one of the things like in Florida, for example, this is one of the things I hate about Florida. You leave your back door open, good luck. You have the weirdest creatures coming into your house. <laughs> but that thing with the snake in the toilet has happened in Florida a couple of times throughout the years. So even like, for example, when we're talking about alligators, this was over like in Brooklyn, you know, New York City. And, but you got to remember, New York City has so many old, you know, old sewage lines and stuff that go on yeah. the entire city that who knows what's there, you know what I'm saying? But a lot of people did throw because what happened was is when they bought the, the little kids bought their pet alligators, it started growing and you couldn't keep it anymore, you know? <laughs> so what did they do? They just let it loose. Oh, let's just throw it in the canal. Let's throw it. And then obviously legends come by. Uh, Bigfoot, again, it's, it's the one that I think most people love there's been big few Bigfoot museums. 
there's so many things with it. And a lot of people still believe. Now, let's be honest. Just like you were saying, I know there's a hype because people are going to use it to market. They're going to make money from legends. But the truth about the ocean, the Loch Ness Monster, I think there's more truth to it than fiction. Because if you think about it, you know how many different creatures we're discovering every year? For Absolutely. Years? Yeah, we thought that the giant squid was not real. They recently found the, you know, squids that measure as much as 50, 60 feet long. The only problem is that they're so deep in the ocean, we don't see them. We only see humpback whales that dive in to get them that have scars because you can see they're fighting the squids down in whatever they are. But an actual, we've never actually had a live squid. But recently, I'm almost positive that they did actually get for the first time in history a, a video of a, of a giant squid in its habitat, you know, like down in the ocean. Oh, wow. But I mean, yeah, there, there of... are, there are several videos that people have taken of these giant squids and that, you know, a lot of these oceanographers and all, and all that say that we know more about outer space than we do of our own ocean. So well, that, that, that's, you know, there, there's a lot to say about that. That's true. And just think about it. When you see those folklores from people back in the 1800s or, where they have a big giant squid tearing down a ship, it might not be so, so yeah. fake, you know? There might be something true to it. Absolutely, because I, I think there was a story not too long ago that came out where um, a shark actually jumped out of the water uh, at a boat or something like that. So, you know, take that story and place it, you know, four or 500 years ago, you know, if people don't know what sharks are or whales and they, they're coming up out of the water, I mean, there's so many, you know, we all played that game in school, you know, where you whispered a, a secret to one person. And by the time it got to the last person, it was completely different. You guys ever play that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just imagine that you're, you're traveling, you know, through the oceans and a whale comes out and hits your boat. You don't know what a whale is because you've never seen one or, you know, heard of it. And 10 years later, that story, you know, there's monsters coming out of the, the ocean, you yeah. know, you know <laughs> and, and it just could be embellished beyond belief. So yeah, you could definitely see stuff like that uh, happening. Uh, Jenny, I got another one to ask you about the ghost of the gray lady and Longleat house. Oh, I was wondering if you're going to ask that one. Yes. Again, I w- I so hope it's true. <laughs> but I don't I, think it listen, is. <laughs> I heard about that. I heard about that really long ago. Go ahead. Go ahead. We want to hear that. Um, well, so she's basically been uh, allegedly spotted by many, many, many people. Um, from the pieces I've ever read about it, the Grey Lady is meant to be um, uh, Lady Jane Grey. It's um, people confuse it. So I think some people say it's Henry VIII's uh, third wife. And some people say it's the woman that tried to take the throne between Henry, the uh, sorry, his son, Edward and Elizabeth. So someone tried to take over the throne for 12 days. Um, not really her choice, just some people made her do it sort of thing, <laughs> as you do. Um, so uh, one obviously died naturally uh, over there and the other one was beheaded. Um, so that's why I think there's a bit of confusion as to who it is, because if you think about it, the one that is beheaded was probably a bit more vengeful and the one that died probably just never left uh, is how they sort of say it. Um, but there is a, a very famous piece of video uh, showing her opening the doors of the property. 
um, or what what appears to be a something grey, very fuzzy, obviously really hard to work out. Um, and you can see the doors open, but lots of different people claim to have seen it. But again, I think it's one of those things where you sometimes you. Um, but yes, she's very famous uh, all over the UK for that one. But very unfortunately, the classic thing where she, uh, there's so many versions of that same story of who she might be, of you know why she's there, um, who's seen her, how many times they've seen her, do they have it on video? Um, but there's definitely um, one of the things to do when you go there uh, is, is to find her. <laughs> now, now that castle is it still? What, is it a museum or is it? What, what are they doing with that now? Yeah, you can go and visit. Yeah, you can go and visit it. So uh, uh, I'm not sure how much it is, to be honest, but it, I'm sure it's not too bad. But absolutely, you can go and do that. So you can do your own. Look around, sure have... Do your own checking it out. <laughs> you know, well, you reminded me of it, that, Joe. I don't know if you read in the news, lady, but it's gone viral in a couple of videos. There's some lady dressed in black walking through different states, and she's all black, and, and everybody's saying, who is the lady who's walking throughout the states, uh, all black? Have you heard anything about that? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's actually, and it was kind of funny because my wife about, I don't know, about two or three days ago, she was coming down and there was this lady, which she had uh, a wig on, but the wig was like, the hair was long all the way up to her waist, past her waist. She had black boots. She had a black uh, cape and she had a, a cane and she had a black covering over her face and a black hat, kind of like the movie jeepers creeper and i was saying wow that's gotta be it's, it's a very interesting you know look and that's where i saw that but when you have you know mentioning now the great lady whatever uh, it, it reminded me but jenny uh, you know you must have really a, a treasure tr chest of of information and legends because i mean you come directly from the old country and it's it's f fascinating well the the funny think about it because it's just like the stories you know growing up as well and I think it's until like I've moved countries now I'm like oh yeah there's some really weird stuff we believe or do or say <laughs> um doesn't make a lot of sense like uh like we like for example we've got so many strange quirks like we we wouldn't wear black to a wedding because you're wishing death onto the wedding you know you, you wear black for funeral clothes only um and so when I moved here and uh, went to a wedding and saw people wearing black I was horrified because nobody explained to me <laughs> I thought, oh my gosh, they hate the bride and groom. What are they doing? <laughs> um, they, we, what else bizarre things? Oh, we have things like um, tar barrel running. So, um, and nobody knows where this tradition has come from, uh, but it's a really, really old tradition, a uh, place in Cornwall called Ottery St. Mary. And what we do on um, just before Christmas, most of our stuff you'll notice happens, like all of our traditions and superstitions are around Christmas time. Um, you'll you'll probably sort of see and it's um, a lot of it's very pagan because it's you know it's it's the winter so it's a lot of them are trying to ward off evil spirits make sure the harvest comes in I think that's where a lot of it stems from um, so we get uh, normal wooden barrels that you'd have your beer or your whiskey in and then we um, set a light we we put tar in the middle of the barrels and set them on light and then one person is the is the king I suppose and he puts the barrel on his head and we, he runs through the streets of the city of the well it's a village really um with this tar barrel and you can actually if you guys watch it you can see it on youtube it's pretty fascinating um and then people take the barrel and run through the city it's quite dangerous when you think about it because it's it's pretty fierce the flames um and it's a, it's a competition of who can run through the city with the tar barrel basically <laughs> thousands of crowds thousands and thousands of people turn up 
It's isn't crazy. That, isn't that the same thing as running with the bulls that they do every year, which is insane. yeah. <laughs> Except you've got the barrel on your head. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny that you mentioned uh, the holidays because I I've studied a lot of pagan traditions and you know I, I consider myself a, you know I, I follow kind of like a pagan path, but not a practitioner, but more of like a researcher. And it, uh, it seems like the more that I Joe, Joe, what's up? You're fading in and out there. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Come back. Now we can. Yeah. Okay. So, so the more that I've you know looked into a lot of you know um, pagan traditions and all that, it, a lot of it always seems to revolve around some type of holiday and warding off yep. evil spirits and uniting uh, <laughs> back with nature. You know, no matter what country that you you find these traditions and it, it you know not all the time but a majority of the time always revolves around you know a holiday and and doing something to to ward off evil spirits or to you know commune back with with nature and um you know there are some of the, you know the bigger holidays but it, there's also you know some little ones like the, you know some of the ones that you were talking about some of these little communities have their very own you know traditions that you know, when we look at them now, you're like, what the heck are these people thinking? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like running around with the barrel on fire, you know, who, you know, you look at that now, especially in the States. If I was to go outside and run around with the barrel, you know, on fire in the streets, I'd probably, you know, be arrested or something. But, <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. But you, but you go to, you know, a smaller community and it's, it's, you know, it's something that's normal there. So I've, I've always found that interesting that these different societies have these traditions, but if you were to take that tradition and, you know, move it somewhere else, they would look at you like you're absolutely crazy. Yeah. What, what, what about when I was trying to jump off Niagara Falls in a barrel? You don't yeah. think that would work? <laughs> <laughs> Only if it was a good barrel. <laughs> you know, that was actually tried, right? Oh yes, yeah. Yeah. Several times. The only one I remember is the the Woody Woodpecker episode where the cop kept falling off the thing over and over. <laughs> oh, so Jenny, what other uh, what other traditions and, and lore do you have? Um, so probably uh, more of a, a lore thing, yeah, tradition that we have is uh, again. Do you know what? And I, I don't mean I didn't mean to tell you all the ones that happen around holidays, but again, this is another one around the holidays. This is usually on Christmas. That's how they always <laughs> seem to happen, yeah. Um, so we have, um, and just thinking of you saying like because certain towns have their own tradition, and that's so true for where we are. So another really small town called Mausel, uh, again in Cornwall. Um, the, there was a very famous uh, fable that happened of uh, the town um, centuries ago was uh, there was no food. It was winter. Everybody was starving um, and there was a big storm coming in. And the uh, one of the sailors said, look, I'm going to go and brave it. I'll go out to the sea. And everyone said, no, please don't do that. You know, it's a big storm coming in. You'll die. Let's take his cat with him for company. He's going to go and get the fish and, and, you know, feed all the people so they don't have to starve. Um, and then famously, the fable is that the reason that he could get out into the seas was the cat sang to the storm and calmed the storm. <laughs> and they got the fish and they came back safely home through the storm. And it was it was a miracle. Um, and then so every year now to celebrate that, um, they they put on a light festival, the Mausel Light Festival, and um, send the lights out into the sea because they, uh, you know, they're not going to send the cats out to sing anymore. Um, <laughs> so it'd be a bit strange for them on boats. Um so they they mark it with that and then they also bake this very traditional pie called a stargazy pie 
Um, and it's uh, so the, the fish from the region is called a pilchard and the fish pie, the crust, they stick the fish's heads through the top of the crust so they can see the sky to make sure that the storm doesn't come. So even the, the food that they eat with this tradition is, is uh, replicating what happened, apparently happened. Now, <laughs> now let, let me ask you a question. Is this a part of Europe or, or Asia? The one that I think one time a year they light up like a bunch of white hot air balloons and let them up into the air. They call it like the festival light. Is, am I correct in saying that, Joe? That's I, I know they do that in um, like a lot of Asian con countries where they have the um, the sky. They call them sky lanterns. Right. Oh, nice. Is that what that, you're talking about? Yeah, actually, the funny thing is that's where uh, <laughs> when I used to send out that mail order thing, it said free flying source of plans. It would show a person how to make one of those sky lanterns, kind of, and it was very cool when it took off uh, in the you oh, know, nice. the ambience. Because what it would do is, you would get you would tell the people to take like a hot air balloon, not a hot air balloon, but like a, a laundry bag from a dry cleaner, and you were into like four straws, and you would put candles in it, and then would you have obviously lit the candles, it would start floating the balloon, it would take off. But if you think if in your mind you think what I'm saying. You're going up there. It's a clear plastic bag, and you see this ambience or, or light flickering on and off. It would look pretty crazy, you know. Um, I know Joe would take out his camera and, and definitely be telling Todd that he had seen a flying saucer, right, Joe? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, well, I tell well, I tell you one of the the traditions that that I have that goes back in my family for years because I have on one side is uh, they came from Czechoslovakia, another and on my. Uh, mother's side on my father's side they all came from england but on my slovak side during um on new year's eve once the clock struck midnight you had to sweep out your house you had to open up <laughs> a, a door and you had to sweep out the house and then immediately after that you had to eat pork and sauerkraut and the i guess the reasoning behind that was that you were sweeping out all the the evil spirits and you had the door open for the good spirits to come in and then you ate the pork and sauerkraut for good luck. So we, that's so cool. Yeah. So we've done that in, in my family for, I mean, as long as I could remember, I don't know, you know, I remembered back in the eighties when I was young, I don't know how far back that went in my family or, or, you know, if they brought that over from the old country or not, but you know, I always thought that was a, a cool tradition. And, the, you know, I've also talked to some other people that have, similar traditions to that where at midnight on you know new year's eve they'll open up all their windows and you know they'll get maybe a pillow cover or something and they'll kind of fan out the evil spirits and you know give some good intentions for you know good spirits to come in uh some people they'll light incense and walk around the house you know other people they have different foods that they eat uh, and i've heard a, a ton of different traditions on on foods that they you know, eat at midnight for, for good luck. So do you yeah. have anything like that in, in, in your family or have you heard of anything like that, you know, on like New Year's Eve where, where people would do traditions like that? The, the only one I know of, but it doesn't have to be only uh, New Year's Eve is burning the sage because that cleanses your house of evil spirits. So you, you get some very dry sage and burn it and waft the smoke around to cleanse your house. Um, people definitely do it on New Year's, 100%. Uh, but I think people do it if they're just having a bad vibes. I don't know. <laughs> I probably it's, do. It's the, I probably do. Yeah. The, I probably do the sage once a week at my house. 
Oh, right. There you go. Okay. I, I so love, I love everyone this. Everyone knows the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, to, it's, a, it's a very old, uh, like you say, if you know obviously the pagan traditions, it's a very old one of cleansing from the evil spirits in your house. Right. And that goes back, yeah, that, from the, you know, pagan traditions, a lot from the Native American traditions too. They were real big on using sage to, to cleanse evil spirits. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's, you know, maybe just in my head or whatnot, but every time, you know, I, I burn it and, you know, say, you know, some good intentions, it always, you know, makes me feel a little bit better. So whether there's anything, you know, supernatural behind it or if, or if it's all in my head, you know, it, it works. And I think that's how a lot of these superstitions are that, you know, no matter what the reasoning is behind it or, you know, the science, the science behind it or, or whatnot, if it works for you, I think people are going to keep doing it. And, you know, why not? If it's not causing any harm and it makes you feel better, you know, why not do it? You know, Plus it uh, smells nice. <laughs> that too. Yeah, absolutely. You guys, you guys reminded me of something that's totally the opposite. Uh, especially in, in Cuba, there's a tradition when it's thunder and you want to ward off thunder, they take a, a horn from a bull and they burn it. The problem is that, the, oh gosh, the smell is horrible, man. Oh, why? Because, because when you burn the, it's kind of like burning hair, you know, the smell from hair. Oh, when yes. You, when yeah. you burn the, because they think that the thunder would go away if you, you know, burn it. I remember my mom trying to do that, you know, when I was very little. But you know something, when when the more you think about stuff like that, it's kind of, when you look at it, I think the ground for a lot of this stuff is like 90% of the world, especially Christian. Now, I'm a Christian. We'll read the Bible and know that Jesus is God, God the Father, whatever, et cetera. A simple thing, but yet you'll have traditions come out from biblical contents and stuff. And they all do it according to the society and, and where they live in or the villages where they live in and tradition grows that way. One good example today is I'm standing in the park and, and, and this is not a not tradition. This is more like, a I think, a cult that's developing lately, which I'm sitting in the park and some lady and guy with a kid comes out and I'm there with my grandson. You know, I was taking him to the park today and they're like, she goes to me, hey, have you ever heard of the mother of God? <laughs> or something like that and I'm like wow because I've heard this is coming and happens a lot in Atlantic City it's happening in a lot of places around New Jersey in the northern area and when you go back to our countries especially as you know back in the 1900s 1800s where and a good example if you go to Florida and I love this I love doing this joke I love the way it looks the ambience but if you walk in the ocean late at night, one o'clock in the morning when it's pitch dark and the ocean is there, you can swear you can see boats or ghost ships coming by. It's one of the most fascinating uh, time that you can actually walk by the by the beach, you know. Oh, absolutely. Uh, hey, I hate to cut you off. We're down to a minute and a half here. Uh, so we're going to be wrapping <laughs> up the podcast what what an excellent talk that was and jenny we're gonna have to have you on again because there, there's so much uh legends and lore to, to cover here that you know we could do several of these but um just to give, give us a you know a, a final word or some of your final thoughts real quick um well i think actually today i didn't realize how many uh different places had the different traditions you pointed that out earlier um, so I think next time I'm going to try and find out like more local versions of it, because I can tell you a lot about my local area ones, which the four or fives that we covered. 
but um, I probably could have a little, you know, Scotland has some amazing folklore, like we were saying with Loch Ness and so on, and probably more rich than my area. So uh, it's now just made me think, okay, what, what have I not looked at? <laughs> Shoot, awesome. I've missed, I've missed so much. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we're, we're definitely going to have to have you on again and talk this because it, it's such an exciting uh, topic oh. and there's so much to dig into. A really quick question here. Between Scotland, Ireland, and England, which one do you think has the best folklore? Or or Germany? Well, I don't I don't know about Germany. So I I think Scotland. I think we'll we could dig up the most stuff with Scotland. Scotland? Okay. Yeah. Awesome. I, Ireland would be a very close second though. I, I imagine there's some really cool things in Ireland. Awesome. And and on that note, we're gonna end it here and uh Jenny, thank you for joining us. I, I can't wait to to you stop by again, and we'll talk some legends and lore. So, uh, Jenny, Eddie, good night, everyone out there in podcast land. Thanks for stopping by, and good night. Good thank night. you. Bye.